Hello everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer, board, recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition of Bye Bye Weekly Behind the Scenes DM Only Livestream, crafting the deep in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you're playing characters of Gottwald, Max, Savra, or Toral, this stream is not for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Of course, there will be spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash Rogue Watson for our campaign. We use Roll20 for streaming. I use OBS Studio. Just as a reminder, so I've been reminding folks for all the streams the last week, uh, we are on Thanksgiving holiday, uh, basically starting tomorrow, but I will not be streaming uh, the crafting stream on Thursday, and we will not have our uh, Friday show this week either due to the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. We will resume our adventures next week, which on Friday would be December 1st, but obviously I'll be uh, streaming the crafting streams next week as well. You will get uh, last week's DM roundtable uh, that we recorded with patrons this week, and also uh, another episode of our Baldur's Gate 3 co-op session, so you'll still get some stuff from me, don't worry about it. But uh, you will get me right now on this glorious Monday, of which uh, a lot of kids have the entire week off. I don't remember getting the whole week off, by the way, when I was back in my day. <laughs> but uh, my oldest has fairly consistently gotten the entire week of Thanksgiving out of school. Uh, which is both a blessing and a curse, <laughs> I think. She's at her grandparents' right now, spending the night. And I'm going to talk about Call from the Deep. You know what? I never did add a, a quest thing. By the way, check this out. They are actually... Oh, you guys can't see it. My overlay is too freaking big. But they changed the icons. Uh, yeah, you can't see it. They changed the icons in Roll20. They're like little... I don't know, like little emoji-looking icons now. Like the art thing is a... Uh, that's probably a word for it. The thing that painters use that, like, you hook your thumb into and you got, like, swatches of paint on there. What the fuck is that called? The paint board? Palette board? Something? Uh, you've got a book, a closed book, I guess, for journal. An open book for a compendium. That's not confusing. And then speakers for jukebox and puzzle pieces for macros? Okay. In the collection? Sure. And then I think chat bubble was actually always there for the chat one. Uh, but what I need to do was add another active quest because, or should I? Is Call from the Deep technically? No, I feel like I feel like the Crash is its own, is its own quest. Call from the Deep is kind of a bigger one, so we're gonna take this and we're gonna duplicate it, duplicate it, duplicate, duplicate, duplicate. By the way, I don't know if anybody's into uh, Disney's Lorcana, the uh, trading card game by Ravensburger which just came out uh, this year recently. It's a really fun game, um, and the Disney license is used extremely well, and Ravensburger, I think, has been a, a great kind of light to midweight board game publisher. But my goodness, this game has become so popular and so crazy. My poor wife was on the queue on their website for hours today trying to order... Uh, pre-order the next wave and it was a shit show of epic proportions she got so wrapped up in it emotionally and sure enough like you get to the end and like their website's crashing and you can't get in and, and they they charged us but they couldn't uh we didn't get a confirmation email like, it was just it was just a, <laughs> a fucking shit show so it was 
it's a bummer because I think a lot of people are going to get turned off of that game. And I think it's a, a fine game. But uh, trading card games are always, you know, a little insidious with the whole random booster pack things. Destination Fiskerbach. But we like playing the card games together. That's a, that's an easy buy-in for us. Like we we still have all our KeyForge decks. We play Dice Throne. Like anything that's kind of designed for head-to-head -head and requires like very little setup is very attractive for us to play these days. Session eight. I think Disney is dead, bro. I wonder if they thought that back in like the seventies or when was like Disney's dark period, like seventies and eighties, where they really were not relevant much at all. And, uh, like, a lot of the movies were pretty niche and weird. Like, I want to say it's that, it's that period between, like, before the Renaissance period, which is the one that a lot of my generation grew up in, which is the, I guess, kicked off by Little Mermaid in 89 and then had a just a really great string in the 90s and kind of basically came on strong. And then Pixar came on and then Disney finally folded Pixar in. And it was just kind of, they were writing a high for a long time. And then they kind of dip down a little bit. You know, it, it's interesting the way they has its ups and downs. I don't know if Disney could ever actually die. It's so much. It's a humongous corporation. But they have not had a good year this year. I will say that. People are still trying to figure out the streaming thing. Like Disney Plus and everything. Like, geez. Yeah, well, hey, don't remind me of my age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Session eight was. Uh, actually, I like saying it in second person. You. Contract. King. Clack, clack, clack. Like a clacky keyboard. King Red X. Spinbarg uh, to investigate a mysterious shipwreck. Side of the uh, there we go. It doesn't need to be like huge paragraphs worth of information, but I think it's just useful if people want to figure out like, okay, what are we doing here? And who sent this mission and all that? King Red X. I'll call that one the crash. Yep, because I put that quest line right there. Yeah, people, uh, what is it, like the 80s are always just 20 years ago or something weird? Like the time distillation is so fucking crazy. What's the, the most fucked up one I ever heard <laughs> was, in terms of like trying to wrap your head around time, is uh, is uh, we are closer to Cleopatra than Cleopatra is to the building of the pyramids. <laughs> I always loved that fucking stat. Well, we know they're going to the crash site next. Um, we were kind of... I've had... I guess we need to finish looking at the crash site then. Because we're also prepping Bronzo Mine. However, since they're going to the crash site next, there's a great chance they might just go to Wreck of the Golden Crown right after the crash site. Because that would be kind of the next area they get. And that would be like a follow-up to the crash site. So I could see them doing that. So maybe I should uh, finish prepping crash site with this stream, and then maybe next week we'll actually start plugging Wreck of the Golden Crown, which I do have a map for that, a color map, but I haven't plugged it in uh, to Roll20 yet, so if we wanted to look at it, we just have to look at the, the shitty line-drawn thing. 
Yeah, and that's one reason, uh, Mad, why we loved uh, Keyforge so much, which was designed by Richard Garfield, Mr. Magic the Gathering himself, uh, who's had hits and misses over the year. Android, uh, Android Netrunner, uh, we didn't really care for, but gosh, Keyforge really, really worked for me and my wife because, yes, it's it's you buy random packs, but there's no boosters, you just buy the decks, and that deck can never be changed or constructed, and it uses some cool algorithm to format the, the cards and then you still get the thrill of like opening a thing and not knowing okay it's like playing sealed draft i guess but it's all ready to go and there's no deck construction which is really nice when you don't necessarily want to do all of that overhead to jump into a game and of course we still end up buying and paying way too much money on all these decks because that's just fun to do and we've constructed tournaments and stuff just with the two of us using decks as different like you know draft style things it kind of died uh fantasy flight did keyforge and then it died a few years ago, kind of around the time of the pandemic, and they lost like, the algorithm machine and everything. And then another company picked it up, and that company ran a Kickstarter, and it was successful, and they made a pretty good amount of money, and now they just ran another Kickstarter, which I did not back because I haven't actually opened the last one yet. Because <laughs> I'm hoping to just, you know, have it go to retail and buy whenever I want. I don't certainly want to back the Kickstarters for that game. But uh, that, that game carries a special place in my heart as somebody who has no interest in playing Magic the Gathering these days, despite having... I definitely grew up with it. I still have, like, original cards from the oldest edition of the set. So the Crash Site. Uh, this one features the poisonous gas. Uh, here in this room, a door, which I literally wrote down a bullet list of ways they can get through the door. They can either make an intelligence check, cast the Nox Bell, which I don't think they have, break it down with an athletics check, or use the head of a Mind Flayer... Uh, basically, if you kill a Mind Flayer and try to get its head, you can try to do it that way. If you fail at all those things, however, you can still have a small creature squeeze in through the wall here. It's just a little more dangerous because there is a, a weekend Githyanki Knight in there who's really like a kind of a nasty mini-boss fight. Although, I think it's still only... It only has the one attack. And we just saw, you know, I, I crafted this that mini-boss fight with the mutated burn monster... And even with the layer actions and stuff, I mean, it still only lasted like three rounds or something just because the action economy. And in this case, this creature, um, I guess, technically has some spells, but I guess you could use Misty Step to get around. It would be kind of maybe fun as a bonus action. But otherwise, it's just got its one attack. Now, it's with a plus nine, it's almost guaranteed to hit. Even, I guess, once you get down to these like AC 1920 motherfuckers, then you've got like a 50% chance. But when it hits, it hits like a truck. So that would be pretty exciting. Interesting little boss fight there. I did lower its hit points, I think, too. 91 average and 79 here. Uh, and then Intellect Devour inside. And then it's got the same thing here. I don't know if I should lock this door because it would. it's one of those situations where locked doors are useful if this it's an optional area, which this one technically is, but I feel like very critical stuff or stuff that you want the players to learn or experience, you shouldn't technically really lock those doors or at least make a fallback like this one has where you can kind of slip in through the side. Because otherwise, I think this is the same, which, you know, you again, you can use the athletics check, but the way I like to rule those situations is that you only get like one chance. You can't just game the system and say, well, like everybody's standing in line and trying to make your athletics check. It's just like, all right, one person. Well, maybe you could have everybody make it. I don't know. I'm trying to think how Solasta does. I think Solasta lets everybody make the check, but everybody only gets one chance to do it. But still, you're giving them four chances then. 
Somebody's gonna make a make a ability check, I would think. Let's just say it has the same door. Where's the door? Five resting pool. Yankee Knight. Smash pool. Which is that one? Smallest marker just moving the rack. Yeah, the door of the chamber is, lo is locked with a quality lock door lock C area C4. So it's the same kind of locking pain in the ass. Spent an entire paycheck on cards. Yeah, I feel like everybody has those kind of stories. I mean it's it's gambling for nerds. And the scary thing was back in the, you know, early mid nineties when that game came out, nobody quite knew how uh, you know, insidious that could be with a lot of people. Doomed the whole game for money. Corporations, yay. <laughs> how are they handling the intellect of hour? Don't they pop out when the host dies? Yeah, it says um in this case, that the devourer just uh, like fucks off, it runs away. Uh, it's actually in flavor text. As the alien humanoid crumples in a heap on the ground, you hear a horrifying burrowing noise as you watch a quadrupedal brain erupts from the back of the creature's skull and makes a break for the door leading outside. So it just kind of runs away, which... Feels a little anticlimactic, but also be pretty interesting, especially if you have it run towards like the mine, for example. Maybe it's been trying to escape this whole time, but it can't because it was inside this body. Claws used devour intellect. You use intensity that has a brain. Agnes is in DC 12, intelligence saving throw against the magic, or take 2d10 psychic damage. Also on a failure, roll 3d6. If the total equals or exceeds the target's intelligence score, that score is reduced to zero. The target is stunned until it regains at least one point of intelligence. How does it gain one point of intelligence? <laughs> this, uh, this... I feel like it's missing some rules here. Is there, like, a page I'm missing? And yeah, then it can actually devour that person and consume their brain and do all that kind of stuff, which I'm not, obviously, very interested in doing at this early of a juncture. The host body dies, inflict devour, must leave it. Interesting if somebody would cast protection from evil and good. That's some metagaming knowledge. Cast on the body drives the intellect devour out. Voluntarily leave the body. Oh, that's interesting. So it can just leave the body. You'd think it would have fucking done that then. Because uh, it's kind of trapped in here. Maybe it has to be more injured, I don't know. I, I feel like it's more interesting. This creature is fairly weak. It's more interesting just to have it like emerge, have it be like a body horror thing, and then maybe just have it run away. I don't know. Maybe it could try to do its devour intellect. I'm a little afraid of this ability, though. So you get a saving throw, or you take 2d10 psychic damage, which is pretty legit. We can fix this to make it... roll it. Also on a failure, roll 3d6. If the total equals or exceeds the target's intelligence score. So if somebody has high intelligence, it's harder to get this off. You're trying to meet or beat their intelligence. 
But if somebody has like an 8 or a 10, that's not too hard to get on 3d6. Score is reduced to zero. The target is stunned until it regains at least one point of intelligence. How? Huh. So it's stunned forever? How do you gain one point of intelligence? Yeah, I was just thinking that, Demnix. Because yeah, the shadow thing, specifically, the, the strength drain, which is also a very dangerous creature. It's a couple of creatures that are low challenge, but have like an insane ability... Uh, what is it, the Banshee or somebody can, like, just fucking kill people? Like, there's some crazy ones. And yeah, the Shadow's a famous one with the Strength Drain, but I believe it specifically says in the Shadow stat block that you regain your strength upon rest. Great arrest, great. Well, that's not very fun. Somebody's just lobotomized. Now, granted, it takes two things for that to happen. A, they have to fail the intelligence save, and B, they have to also lose out against a, a weird, is a, that's a weird unique roll, 3d6. And then if, and then you check the, is there any other creature that works like that? You roll 3d6 and you compare it to their attribute score. That's wild. Can you tell I've never actually used an intellect devourer before? <laughs> I would hope it would rest, uh, re yeah, cure on a long rest. That's kind of crazy. Now, if the creature gets, obviously, its turn again, then it can do its horrifying body thief thing. Incapacitated human, which is somebody who's stunned. Teleports into the skull and takes control of the body. Teleporting into the skull is, I expect a little more body horror. Okay, ability score losses are just straight up restored by resting, but only a long rest. Well, that would... They're dead if zero, I thought. You'd think so, with an intelligence score of zero, I mean, you're a, you're a, you're in a coma. I, I guess that's, that's what you would really flavor it as. You are in a non-medically induced coma. <laughs> you're a vegetable. Because of two skills. I mean, and like I said, it, it's actually designed in the text that this creature just tries to escape. It's probably more for flavor than anything else, but I don't know. Maybe if for some reason they kick the Yankees ass, then we could still have it pop out and attack. It would probably be scarier. It only has an AC of 12 and 23 hit points. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to roll its own initiative or it goes at the same time as the creature, but, you know, it may not even get a turn. On the list for monsters at TPK for a reason if you do it, yeah. I mean, yeah, imagine fighting a couple of these. That would be terrifying. It's like, you know, facing face huggers or something where they don't look like anything, but you're just fucked if they get to you. <laughs> uh, C5 was the one I hadn't prepped yet, which... Is that really the stat block for the swarm? I think I'd used a different... See, yeah, these icons are wild. I wish I could show them off, but I guess if you guys have uh, roll twenty, you can see for yourself. But they must have just updated these today, or I guess Saturday or Sunday. It wasn't. I wasn't on roll twenty since since Friday. I think they changed this creature between uh, Volos and Mordenkainen's because in Volos, 
the swarm of cranium rats has a, uh, 36 hit points, AC of 12, the usual swarm stuff. Um, only does 46 damage. It's basically just a swarm with the additional spells, which is uh, Confusion and Dominate Monster, which are still some really fun spells. But in Mordenkainen's, suddenly this thing got a huge boost. And it's got an it's got 17d8, like twice as many hit points. Average of 76. And damage, it now does 46 plus 5d8 psychic damage. What was the original CR value of this thing? How the fuck was the initial one a CR5? Okay. So a rare monster buff. <laughs> Still CR5. And now does twice as much basic attack damage and still has its has its spells. It can command at will or do confusion and dominate monster. Which is I mean that's that might be a legit boss fight because most of the party doesn't have magic weapons at this point, so it's effectively almost got double the hit points. With a damage resistance, it's Immune to a lot of conditions because it's a swarm. Plus, it only has a one attack, but plus five to hit. And does I don't even know what that equals out to. Forty-six plus five d eight psychic damage. It's got to be like at least twenty damage, right? Oh shit, that's like thirty damage. Wait, why does it only have half HP or lower? All right, this. Uh. What happened to your stat block, buddy? Oh, wow, and the psychic damage actually doesn't change. All right, well, let's add your full HP. More than half HP. I don't know what that happened to it. If I delete it or what happened, so. Zero feet, because they're that weird swarm. They got to get up all in your business. It's five. A lot of piping in this session. Space 4d6 piercing. It's 5d8 psychic. My good golly. That is a hilarious amount of damage. Has anybody actually used the new and improved swarm of cranium rats? I because I was confused when I saw it the first time. Which means I think that this was designed with the old swarm of cranium rats in play. Because I don't think Mordenkainen had been released when Call from the Deep was released. So that's interesting that a creature got buffed after a designer used it. Buffed significantly. Let's change it to Whisper and see what that looks like. Oh, I rolled an 11. That's not going to hit anybody. <laughs> Still only one attack, so if it misses with its one attack, it's going to feel bad. 23 will hit for 37 damage. 20 piercing and 17 psychic if it's got all of its shit. Oh, man. What a difference a round makes. Like, you could literally just miss that round or deal 37 damage. Now, the other weird thing is, even though it can do a monster amount of damage... It also can cast some pretty fun spells. 
I mean, Dominate Monster. I need to look that one up and Confusion. Because both are probably worth doing, although they also both have Concentration. And it's called Dominate Monster, but uh, it's just Creature, so anything. It's 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 the better one. That's an 8th level spell. It's the, it's the upgraded version of uh, Dominate Person. Wisdom Saber be charmed by you. If you or creatures that are friendly to you are fighting it, it has advantage on the saving throw. So that's a bummer because obviously we'd start combat. So they would get advantage. When the creature is charmed, you have a telepathic link with it as long as the two of you are on the same plane. You can use this link to issue commands to the creature while you are conscious. Which it does its best to obey. So you just straight up control it basically. I guess indirectly control it. Or you can take your action to take total and precise control. So that part, if you start off with the Dominate Monster, and then it still gets its actions, that would be nuts. But each time the target takes damage, it makes a new Wisdom save against the spell. And it is Concentration, so still a really fun thing to do. Obviously, hitting Gottwald with that, Mr. Terrible Mental Stats. Big beefy guy with terrible mental stats is just a uh, prime target. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw how much stronger this the new creature was. And Confusion's a good one, too. Each creature in a 10-foot radius sphere, which is everybody, wisdom save. And at the start of each of its turns, they have to roll a d10. On a 1, you do nothing but move in a random direction. On a 2 to 6, you don't get to take an action this turn. On a 7 to 8, you have to hit your buddy. And then 9 to 10, you can act and move normally. That might actually be more effective than Dominate Monster. Because Dominate Monster, granted, you have a chance of, hit, of controlling somebody, which would be pretty amazing. But Confusion, you hit everybody, and chances are you're going to at least grab one or two people to have that ability. Because let's face it, this creature is not going to hang on to Concentration much. It still only has a plus zero to the con save, and it's going to get hit by everything. So you're really not going to have whatever thing you cast for much longer. So I, I'm pretty sure Confusion might actually be better than Dominate. Even though Dominate Monster is the highest spell and it's sexier, I think Confusion... Um, if you're facing a full party, it would probably be the better play. It's like a round one confusion, and then you just attack, attack, attack. <laughs> Great choice. It is so annoying. It's annoying, but at least I will say, as as shitty as it is to lose your whole turn, at least you give the the player gets to roll that dice, that d10 to see what happens. At least they're doing something rather than just literally skipping their turn. Now granted, on a 2 through 6 out of 10, that's a pretty good chance that you're going to get to do nothing, but at least you get a little bit of a, oh crap, what am I going to do this turn? And then, you know, I do like the 5e rules of everybody gets to repeat the save at the end of the turn. I assume that's in confusion as well. Yeah, at the end of each of its turns, you make a wisdom saving throw. I like that rule a lot. People should not be perma-lockdown. 
But yeah, this is... These are two... There's only two creatures in here, but they're both... Kind of nasty. You think dominating is better? Yeah, I mean, this is... What is this creature's... Intelligence of 15. This swarm is, yeah, mentally linked, and they're smarter than the average bear. So clearly you could easily lock down Gottwald and grab him, but... I don't know. I, I think because uh, if you're if you're fighting them, then they have advantage on the save against dominate monster. And keep in mind, people are going to be hitting this thing, and it's going to have to constantly make con saves against that. Versus confusion may make it so fewer people are hitting you, and thus triggering the concentration. A week of character doing nothing is dumb. In an average adventure, I would agree with that. That's like, unless you're running, like, if maybe if you're running something like Keys from the Golden Vault, where you're, you're running, like, individual missions, and it's almost like a television show, where it's like, hey, after, the, after we're done, we go back to the base and we just hang out for a couple days until our next mission, then you could obviously do those bigger downtimes. But in, in all of my campaign, at least especially with Rhyme and Tomb, like, the players are in these exotic locations, like, we're tracking the days, like, there's no time... You know, the, and pacing-wise, like, there's never a time we're going to turn around and just, like, hang out somewhere for a week. Like, there's dire things happening in the world. <laughs> These rats are just hanging out in this pool, is that right? What's crazy is another swarm uh, in the mines, and it's not like the final boss fight or anything. It's just, it's actually like the first creature they come across. So this might be a nice, like, warning of, like, hey, rats with, like, exposed brains are pretty dangerous because they can cast spells and do a shit ton. The first time they see these things do damage is going to be hilarious because nobody expects a swarm to do that kind of damage. Like, that would down most of the party members, I think. Level 4. 37 damage. Even a barbarian wouldn't like that because a lot of that's psychic damage. <laughs> we don't have a barbarian in this party, but... Characters who enter area C5, which is a giant pool, must succeed on a DC 11 wisdom save or become frightened of the chamber for 10 minutes. If the saving throw fails by 5 or more, the character also develops a random form of short-term madness. So that would be fun to open with that and have a bunch of rats emerge from the pool and start combat with some of the players frightened and others suffering from short-term madness. Yikes. Big yike. Lurking beneath the brine pools. Oh, it even says they're lurking beneath the brine pool. They have extinguished the natural illumination of their brains and spy on the characters with a past perception wisdom of 16 or higher, which none of them do. Holy shit, does that mean I'm getting a surprise round off? I think we're getting a surprise round. Because nobody's got a 16 or higher. We've looked this up a couple sessions ago, and I think we only had like 11s, 12s, and maybe a 13. Mm, have I actually surprised the party yet? As I know, I, I try to be uh, careful about doing that too often. They get... <laughs> I've had the party get very uppity <laughs> about too many surprise rounds against them. Which is fair, because that's a nasty thing to do. But And then, you know, you try to give them chances as well. Although this is... <laughs> my, uh, my dear players have never been the most tactically stealthy party. After, if attacked, the rats retaliate until they drop to half their hit points, after which they flee. 
That's kind of a big deal. I don't know if I like the fact that they would flee at half hit points, because they just don't have any good place to flee to. It'd be interesting if a swarm had the ability where they could disperse and, like, not become a swarm anymore. And just, you know, like, just all go in different directions and you're fighting just a bunch of single rats and you're kind of screwed. <laughs> I guess actual herd creatures don't do that, though. They tend to stick to the herd. And if you touch the water, that's when you get bombarded by the cutscene of... And I like it that the cutscene is from the Elder Brain's perspective. So there's like some residual memory thing going on. But you can kind of... Kind of get a little bit of the context of what happened here. Which, you know, at this point we're going to be 10 sessions into the campaign. So it's I think it's pretty fair to reveal kind of the main story. They don't really know the severity of it yet. They just know, okay, well, mine flares crash landed on this island and then maybe they're hanging out in that mine and, you know, whatever else is going on. They seem to have maybe tainted the, the Sawagan and yeah, I think, and I and Raven did call it a couple of sessions ago where he's like, I think it's mine flares. <laughs> like, all right, well, just because you've got boulders again in the brain, but you're also right. <laughs> I don't necessarily understand this one, um, that they can have to succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become stunned. Oh, I see. Roll on a d6 and a roll of 1 to 3. The stunned creature falls in the brine pool and begins to drown. That can't be that deep of a pool, right? I guess it's deep enough for the rats to hide in, though. Creature can repeat the save at the end of each turn. And it, you know, it just says characters who touch the water. So I, what I could do is have the rats emerge, cast the spell from in the middle of the pool, and then as soon as somebody touches the water, just like walks up onto it, then we have to roll this. Oh god, that's a lot of bad things happening. <laughs> they already have to be frightened of the water, or possibly get short-term madness. And then as soon as somebody approaches the water, we're really turning this into a boss fight now. Then they get, they could get that, they could trigger the cutscene essentially in the middle of combat. And then they have to make a DC 18. The saving throws are fucking crazy, JVC Perry. What are you doing, man? You're not wanting anybody to make these checks over here. Remember the Bronzo Mine skill challenge at a bunch of like DC 17, 18? These are, this is fourth level shit here. I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the players have a chance. Really like to remind the DM that we are level two. No, you're not level two, but still level four. And that's uh, DC 18 does not seem very doable for a lot of level fours, but I guess things can happen. And stunned, I have a chance of falling to the water. <laughs> that's that's hilariously bad. That is hilariously bad. I gotta be careful with that one. I think I think I like the idea, but I think I need to lower the DC against and especially with me, if you get stunned, that's gotta be like a DC ten or something. That's terrible. Or one thing I like that I don't see a lot of five uh, E books do is uh, say, okay, it's a DC you know twelve, or else you have disadvantage this turn on whatever you want to do. But if you fail it by five or more, then you're stunned or incapacitated. And, you know, have kind of a gradient effect of different things that can happen. 
but yeah, we could turn this into a whole with with all the added stuff in there. The fact that they've never faced this creature, so that gives them, you know, a shock there. Um, the fact that it's going to be a surprise round. Unless for some reason they open the door and immediately make a perception check, which they may, and I would let them. Then they can see the rats lurking in the water. But they also, as soon as they, I think as soon as they see, or as soon as they enter the area, they have to make a DC 11. See, that's more like a DC 11 whiz save. In terms of hazard. Just from the horrifying alien architecture of the pool. I'm getting some real, like, alien ship vibes here. It's just freaky. It is kind of brutal. In fact, I think this was supposed to be third level. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> this even has the players at third level when they're exploring the crash ship. I forgot about that. I've actually got them at a higher level. Now again, Perry designed this. I'm 90% sure this campaign before this swarm was given a double boost in power. So that's a big deal. This thing normally only has like 36 hit points and does not have that big psychic damage attack. So it was not meant to be that big of a creature because the players are a higher level. And because I just think it's hilarious that this creature is so nasty, I'm tempted to leave the stronger one on there. But, I mean, it is a CR5. I guess it was CR5 before, though. That's a weird thing. But you can do a surprise round confusion. You could do a surprise round dominate monster. And then I don't think the player would have advantage because they're not fighting the rats. In fact, you would even flavor it like the pool is doing it, and then you would have a bunch of rats emerge from the pool with, like, brains on them. Okay, I'm liking this setup better. So if we if we get the surprise round off, then the first thing they do on the surprise round, the rats, is they cast Dominate Monster, probably on Gotwald, but unless he's far in the back for some reason. And then they would be, they would emerge... Maybe even not even until their turn. It would just like come out of the water, having already dominated somebody. And then if they lose concentration in the future, uh, then they could cast Confusion. So maybe that way I can go through both spells. The bad thing is if they're casting the spells and they're not attacking, and they've got that hilariously big attack. But, I mean, both their spells are fun to use. What's going to happen when someone casts a Meteor Swarm on them and they don't have Mass Heal? Might as well make the campaign weak to save you from headaches, man. <laughs> they don't have they don't have very good healing at all. I mean, that's... I, you could go crazy coming up with what-ifs as a DM, honestly. You just kind of have to prep everything as it goes. And, you know, thankfully I'm here every step of the way, so I'm learning what the players can do, what they're capable of, what their various resistances and go-to attacks are, and uh, I think it's good to have a mix of creatures that are going to be resistant to that and really cause them uh, trouble and have creatures that are weak to that and let the players, you know, dominate them. Poor Gottwald probably can't grapple 
the rats. But he's, you know, he's recently just been able to grapple a bunch of creatures and have fun with that, so. <laughs> I could roll for stealth. It, it actually said, uh, it said in the text they had, it was a DC 16 perception check. Uh, right here. Characters with a passive perception of 16 or higher notice the rats. I assume that means that's their stealth? Although I'm not sure where it gets that. They have a dex plus two. They actually don't have stealth. At CR five, does that mean they have a proficiency of... Oh yeah, it says three. So I think it would actually... If you wanted to take the average of ten, it would have only be a DC 15 then. If I'm doing that correctly. Because you would add... if Well, actually, that's only if they're proficient in stealth. Then they would be at a... It would be a DC 15 if you want to take the average. Otherwise, it'd just be a DC 12. So yeah, I guess we could roll stealth. All right, let's do it right now. Let's roll. Let's roll stealth for the rats. So this could make this fight a lot easier if we're not getting, not letting them have a surprise round. But we could leave it up to the dice. All right, so I'm just gonna roll their decks. <laughs> of course, I rolled shitty. <laughs> Uh, rolled a four, so plus two is six. So they would try to be hiding. And maybe that's one way I, I help balance this the other direction, because, like I said, these rats are a lot stronger than what was originally designed. But it looks like they won't be able to actually surprise. Yeah, they're at stealth roll versus the individual characters' passive perceptions. I mean, I'm okay with always taking ten, to turn it into more of a, like, hey, here's just... Basically, if I don't want to have to roll for every opportunity like that, but I have the, but I do want to check the character's uh, stats, then I would always take the character's, uh, the NPC's stealth score and add it to 10, and that's the average. And But in this case, even if I do the proficiency plus the dex, they would have a 15, so it would be a DC 15. But obviously I did not, and they don't have proficiency, so it would really only be a DC 12. And I did not roll nearly that well. I rolled a four. So, surprise round is off the table. That's fine. Um, they will still... So, in that case, we'll probably go with the original plan of they open the door. The... Maybe the rats... I guess the rats are still in the water, but maybe they can have them... Uh, but people can notice there's, like, rats with brains in the water. Sure, it is. Well, I don't know what the lighting situation is. Uh, I think it's like there was light filtering through uh, the various cracks and stuff. I don't know how much of the ship is destroyed in terms of light. It's usually, they did, usually has a pretty good section of uh, mentioning the lighting specifically, but this one. Not seeing it. Okay. The room is dimly lit by external light. That's C4. Which, the way I did lighting here is I did not turn on global illumination. But I did give a bunch of lights outside so it looks like there's light coming in from outside, the daylight. But that means there would be no lighting at all in here. Would just be filtering from here. So yeah, there wouldn't be any lights 
in C5, I think. Hmm. But Gottwald has dark vision, so I don't think it would affect him too much. I know. Well, I'm okay with my party. The way we've generally played things is at least since Tomb. Tomb kind of broke us on NPCs, I think. It was too many NPCs to join them, and granted, they all filtered out eventually. When they first went to the jungle, they like doubled in size their party because they had so many NPCs with them. And since then, I think we've done a better job of... Um, I, I still include NPCs that actually tag along with the party, but often it's only for like specific areas or dungeons or missions that that NPC is interested in. And then they leave or they just go back to not, you know, being in their active party. Uh, in this case, most of the NPCs should just stay with their ship, which would give them, you know, during random encounters or, yeah, when they first go somewhere, then they have those opportunities to interact with and use those NPC uh, abilities. But generally, if they're going out, which is this is a pretty lengthy excursion, then they kind of don't take NPCs with them because... You know, it just takes away from the players, I think, ultimately. But I did saddle them. In fact, I saddled them with Burn uh, as a kind of forced NPC because I had a plan with him, and then he turned into a monster. So might have broken them on that one. There you go. Yeah, Sarver does have dancing lights, so that could be helpful. Some kind of lighting situation here. Let's make sure everything uh, looks okay from the inside. So let's use Toral, who does not have dark vision. You can see everything is. I do the thing. There we go. Preview. Oops, don't grab that. Shoot. Why can I not? Okay, send to the back. <laughs> and then. Definitely need to call out the fact that there's, you know, they, might, they might not be able to tell there's an opening here. And ooh, I wonder if it's worth putting tracks actually on the map. Uh, I did have tracks in our Sinister Secrets map. Even though I know it doesn't make any sense to have tracks in the sand. But, oh well. Maybe it's frequently back and forth used. Yeah, well, Out of the Abyss um, is similar to Tomb in that there's a bunch of NPCs that the party can have travel with them. They just kind of throw a bunch out there, and that's kind of up to the party and the DM, at least to me, when I read it, which was forever ago, which ones you actually want to use to include, which is how I did Tomb. Tomb also gave a shit ton of NPCs, but of course it's up to you know the DM on like which ones that you want to use and then which ones you really want to push on the players, although they could also have their own opinions of that but yeah it's it's the fellow uh prisoners in out of the abyss i want vehicle tracks i want people tracks do i have to search people tracks uh, lead footprints quick encounter train oh because it train tracks i get it Getting a bunch of train tracks. Uh, I don't need train tracks, you idiots. I need. Oh, 
I still don't need train tracks. It's all train tracks. Uh, there we go. These all look like shoe prints, though. Is it a shoe prints or paw prints? Yep. Yeah. There we go. These are kind of... I'm looking at like monster prints. That looks close. Okay. Can we make that a skosh smaller? There we go. Okay. That could work. I can work with that. Uh, how small do we want to get here, though? Busted out of there. Or really, they must have... They probably went out the door, right? I don't know if they... They actually busted out of here. Alright, Tor, I'm going to quit looking at you for a second. So what if... Let's move you. Yeah, we've got tracks. I think this is going to help really cement the fact that I need the players uh, to realize that the inhabitants went into uh, really they went in two different directions from here they went to the mine and they went to the water so we're gonna paint that picture Having all these tracks uh, go in two different directions. So probably, I think I determined the mine was going to be northeast. Kind of in a triangle formation. So Fiskerbach here, and then the shipwreck was due straight north. And if you took a line and moved both of them east, one southeast, the other northeast, and they would meet and form a triangle, describing this really terribly, uh, then that's Bronzo Mine. Everything's within about an hour of each other. There we go. We'll have... I know, I need to put them all in the map layer. Uh, the thing is, I'll, I'll move them to the map layer uh, after I place them, because I don't want to be moving around a bunch of shit on the map layer. That always makes me nervous. Alright, I know it makes no sense to have shit in the in near the water and the beach, so whatever, maybe it's receded. But yeah. It's I need it for my environmental storytelling, damn it. <laughs> so it's gonna have to happen. Yeah, I'll just uh grab all this and There we go. Put all of it right there in the water, and then we'll have some more going straight east. Now this looks a lot more... Yeah. Probably won't even be able to see this part, which is going to be interesting, because the cloud will be covering it. And they don't have any, like, gust of wind or anything. Maybe I can let them be clever about trying to get rid of this, because this will be the first thing they have to tackle, is this just permanent poisonous gas. As far as the crash ship has been centered, revealing tubes in the walls from which noxious gases spout. Despite the haze, the circular door on the inside wall can easily be seen. And then I also probably mention the tracks as part of that same description. 
twisted tubes sprout noxious gas into the air. So maybe you could allow them to plug the tubes somehow, try to get clever with it. I don't know. There's no rules for that. All the rules involve just investigating the area, which also seem like hilariously high DCs. Yeah, it's a DC 15 survival check to trace the web footprints and discover they lead to and from the crash heading north. To and from the crash. It doesn't say uh, heading north. Okay, so it would be in the water. But to me, they would also go to Bronzo Mine because... Unless they never went to the mine from here... I think it's more interesting to have the tracks show all that anyway. This looks like PG3. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know it's such a that's such a layering thing to do is to put like um very clear just hazards right on the map that you have to deal with. I it's such an interesting game design they have where they don't do fog of war at all. They're like, fuck your fog of war. You can see everything across the map. Uh I, I guess technically uh enemies actually you might not be able to see an enemy if you're not close enough. But in terms of like the the map structure, like there's no fog of war there. And they let you see all that, but the game's just still challenging and fun enough that it's just it's just the way it works. Okay, so now we're gonna put all of these guys, let's move you on the map layer. Everybody goes on the map layer. There we go. So we're not able to select any of those guys. Perfect. Um, I think I'm going to leave this guy in the token layer. Um, but it's to the back, so hopefully it won't fuck up anybody's stuff. But now, look at that. As soon as they turn the corner... In fact, you see the tracks before you even see anything else. Which I think is pretty cool. So you can see tracks going east. And... Oh, I wonder if I should have tracks go south towards the village. Hmm. Tracks are everywhere, man. I don't think there were that many mind flayers that survived. I have to go back and check my notes, but or my notes, the game notes. I think there were only half a dozen that survived with the elder brain, so it's not like a whole army came out of here. So it's possible. I guess they went to the they went into the water first. So maybe the maybe when the Sawagan the Sawagan attacked Fisker box, so maybe it's just Sawagan attacked from the from the sea. So I don't think I'm gonna worry about uh, them coming out of the ship. But they did probably go to the mine to check out just a nearby layer because that's where Thiliosk is. And then if the the main thing is they went north, so they'll gain another location from this location. So the 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 interesting thing is. You technically don't even have to go in this dungeon to get the most used, the most important information, which is uh, they've gone into the water, and then from this visibility abouts, 
uh, you know, if they try to follow the tracks and see into the water, they will see in the distance the top of a mast sticking out, which indicates a shipwreck underwater. And that's really the most important information you get here. Now, you do get some better context from being in the crash site. I don't believe there's any items for them to get, but they do get that little cutscene of information, basically, if they uh, investigate in here. I should maybe put something for them to get. I don't know if maybe we can talk about that. Uh next time in terms of having some kind of piece of loot to make it worth exploring and fighting these pretty tough fights because right now there's nothing really in here for them and obviously the the mind flayers and stuff would have looted everything they could have gotten so it would have to be and i don't know what it could be something that was overlooked or or what look at how cool this looks you can see that's the only amount of amount of light you can see uh, if you don't have dark vision and then you can get the yankee there you do have dark vision. Mr. Gottwald. And you can see much better as you come in here. It's like all the tubes. You just picture like face huggers and all those things. Now if they it's interesting if they whether they care about stealthing or not. If they don't, then I think the Gith Yankee might be able to try to stealth and surprise them. Which could be also pretty scary for the players, and that feels appropriate for like kind of a horror moment of exploring uh, a spaceship. So it really depends. And, and some of the players really haven't stealthed much at all, I and mean, they don't have any kind of rogue characters. Like that has not been their forte. So I might have to take advantage of that. Uh, although we could go ahead and roll stealth uh, for our Gith. Yeah, oh, not the. All right, why don't we do that? Why don't we go ahead and roll stealth for our injured Gith Yankee Knight? Uh, it says in the text, uh, passive perception of 12 or higher notices the knight hiding between two metal sheets. So that one does correctly use the stats where look at that. They have a DC plus two. So they, uh, the designer did what I would have done, which is, Hey, and if, if you want to roll, you can, I guess I would have said that, but otherwise, you know, take the average, which would be a DC 12. So that's the, uh, passive perception that you would have to do just because that's the average that this character could stealth. Which, you know, I, I could take a DC, what, 12 for the other rats if I wanted to as well, but I did roll for the rats, so I guess four funsies. We'll go ahead and roll for this, which it could be better. We don't know. Let's roll a stealth check. And I got a dirty 20. I rolled an 18. So this creature is super, super stealthy. If, if the characters think of, if, if they make noise and alert this creature to the fact that there's people coming, if the characters stealth and they beat this creature's passive perception, then this character wouldn't notice stealth, right? It wouldn't even matter because they would just be wandering around like usual. But like I said, the character, these, this party doesn't usually stealth around. So, uh, yeah, I think this, uh, the, the dice giveth and the dice taketh away. And in this case... The injured get the Yankee Knight, which is not as fun as a creature, not as strong in terms of, a, you know, a surprise round spell, but could leap out of the shadows, all bloodied and injured. They'll probably try to talk to it, uh, maybe doing some metagame knowledge, knowing they're like, oh shit, it's, a get the it's injured get the Yankee, like it's after the Mind Flayers too, but it's it's too late for this one. Good stuff. I, I didn't think I'd talk about the crash site this whole time, but by gosh, we sure did. We had more stuff to talk about, but I think for sure 
Uh, next week, we will start talking about Wreck of the Golden Crown because I haven't done any prep work on that one. So we really need to get that one rolling because uh, I could see them doing the crash site in an entire session. And then I, and then I could definitely see them, even though they'll, have, they'll still have the mind to do or the Wreck of the Golden Crown, I could, I could see them following up and going into the water. Um, and if they don't do that, then we can go back to prepping more Bronzo Mines. Just we've got all these different areas and we got to have all that stuff ready to go. All right, I think that is going to do it for this Monday edition of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Zinnersider, David, Eclectic, Role Player, Role, Christopher, Corey, Go with 1337, Big Nut, John F., John L., Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp Crystal Lake, Counselor, Andrew, Daryl, The Reldron, Captain Woody, 79, Stephanie, Andy, Patrick, and Jason. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercraft, Spree Boy, and Yuma, Elizabeth, Lion, Sam, Lopez, Buds, Jerome, Nathan, Fast, Like a Tortoise, Scott, Ruffus, Carolyn, Jerry, and Thomas. Thank you all very much for your support. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday if you are celebrating it here uh, in the U.S. And I will see you all uh, next Monday for another family stream. Bye.